Hello, and welcome to Catalyst, the Travel and Purpose podcast. Today, we'll be talking with Casey Kennedy about her trip to Ghana with Pencils of Promise. Catalyst is the online platform about social action and travel. These podcasts are a series of conversations about social impact and travel. I'm Eden Flaherty, and I'm going to be your host. Hello, Casey. Thanks for joining us on Travel and Purpose. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, yeah. Great. No complaints. <laughs> so you work for the nonprofit organization Pencils of Promise. Can you tell us a bit about what that organization does as a whole? Sure, yeah. We are focused on students' literacy around the globe. So there are about 250 million students who don't have basic reading, writing, math skills. And so we work in Ghana, Guatemala, and Laos to develop better quality education. And we do that through building schools, through supporting teachers, and through WASH programming, which is water, sanitation, and hygiene with the idea that it's really a holistic approach to providing quality education and really thinking about all the different aspects that a student may need to be achieving in school. How and when did Pencils of Promise start and what were some of the first projects? Yeah, so we started in 2008. Our founder, Adam Braun, he traveled to Laos and made some connections with some local people there who now work for our Laos team in country. And it started by just being a school build organization. There were schools around Laos that had the teachers, the students there, but the school structure wasn't there. So they may be learning under trees, they may have a pavilion, but not strong, sturdy structures that kids can be learning in for months on end during rainy season and things like that. And so we really started with just building the foundation of the school, right? Finding communities that had schools, had all of those pieces, but really needed the school structure. And then from there, we grew into Guatemala and Ghana. And during that whole process, started to realize also that we needed to be more than a school builds organization. And that's whenever we added teacher support and our WASH programming as well. So there's obviously lots of different areas within Pencils of Promise, and you're the senior manager of Program Impact. What exactly does this involve? Yes. So I manage the teacher support and the WASH programming. So I work with the country teams, the country directors, the program managers to think about how we're growing our programs into other regions, other areas, and how we can be improving what we're already doing. So we're doing teacher support, we're doing workshops, we're visiting schools and observing teachers or providing materials. But I work with the teams to consider what we could be doing different, what we could be doing better and how we can grow, which is exciting. It is indeed. When did you shift to this area of work, this area of education, and what inspired you to make that shift? Yeah, good question. I started in elementary education in college, I had wanted to be a teacher and I was focused on elementary teaching, but I then 
took a trip to Ghana. I volunteered at a school in Ghana. I was a primary school teacher in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And that's whenever I shifted my thinking into wanting to support and train teachers in other areas in lower and middle income countries, because I saw from the teacher training that I did while I was in Ghana, how helpful it was and how much a little bit of training, how far it could go really. So training teachers on classroom management strategies and different things were so helpful. And I found that while I could be teaching in the US, I thought it was a very interesting premise to get into teacher training. And that eventually brought me to Pencils of Promise. And it's interesting because that was your starting point, but it certainly wasn't the last time you went to Ghana. Can you tell us a bit about your most recent trip? When was that? What was your aim in going there? And how long were you there? Yeah, so I was last there at the end of January. I typically visit each of the countries where we work once or twice a year and meet with the team. So while I was in Ghana, I was there for a week. I was meeting with the teacher support and WASH teams, meeting with the country director, and visiting communities and observing the programs in place. So typically, whenever I'm visiting, I'm talking to the teams about what's going well. Are there things that they want to be trying out that we're not doing and working with them on planning for what that looks like, what the next steps are, what the timelines are, all of those little details. But then also going with them to communities and seeing how coaching is working in action to see how the hand washing stations are working, how the water filters are working and what the kind of day to day is for the teams and talking with them about the challenges that they're having and what they think is going well to help support them in really planning to improve. So these teams, you've mentioned them in Ghana, you've also mentioned them in Laos. These teams that you work with in Ghana are all local to the area you're based in. Can you tell me a bit more about them? In Laos, Ghana, Guatemala, all of the team members are local to that country. And I think as an organization, we find that that's really important because the people who are growing up in the communities in which we're working are from the areas in which we're supporting. They have obviously the best insight as to what's the best way forward and and what are the best options. So I could be saying, hey, there's this thing that I think could be interesting to try out in schools. And they'll give me 10 reasons why it's either not a good idea or it's a great idea and who they can be working with on the ground to be promoting that work and continuing it. So I think it's really important for us as an organization to have that local leadership have those local teams who are going and visiting communities. I mean, for one, there are many different local languages in each of the countries we work. And those staff members are from those areas. So they know the languages, they can communicate, they can be providing feedback and instruction in the language that the teacher is most comfortable with. And I think that it helps on so many levels to have local leadership. And it's really something that's been able to move our programs forward, I think, in making government partnerships and things like that. You mentioned there that there was many different languages within Ghana. Can you tell us a bit more about this, as well as the environment, the culture, the landscape of Ghana as a whole? Sure. Yeah. There are languages that are from specific areas. So if you go to where we work, you know, we work in areas where people speak Awe, but if you drive, you know, two hours down the road somewhere else, there are different languages. So a variety of different languages. I think 
Ghana as a whole, all the people that I've met from there, everyone's so warm and welcoming and friendly. I think our staff, if you go into our office in Ghana, everyone's cracking jokes, smiling, laughing, getting along really well. And they just kind of have that like outgoing, positive outlook. I'd say also just from when I lived there 10 years ago, it's a rather relaxed place to be. There's, you know, a lot of emphasis on whenever you're meeting to discuss something, you're taking the time to do introductions, to ask how people's families are doing, ask how, you know, they were doing yesterday, what they were up to this weekend, you know, variety of different things where you're actually getting to know the person as opposed to the culture that I'm used to where you're just jumping into topics. So that's wonderful and lovely. And I think just as a whole, it's a very familial culture. So there's a lot of things that are shared. For instance, like if I'm eating something, it's appropriate to ask others if they would like to share what I'm eating. And that's something that you'll see if anyone's sitting down for lunch, they'll be offering it to others, even though everyone knows that's their lunch. But it's just the way that, I don't know, they operate as a culture. And it's really wonderful to visit and kind of be a part of it. When you made your first trip to Ghana, you didn't stay in a hotel. Can you tell us a bit about where you did stay? Yeah, so I was working at a school in Ghana when I first went about 10 years ago. And I was living at the house, the boarding house, really, of the girls that were boarding at that school. And we had, let's see, it was probably 10 to 15 girls from the age of three to, I don't know, 18 or so, which was really fun because they all went to the school there and I was able to help them with their homework or support them in other ways. You know, we went to church on Sundays together and, you know, all cooked food together and things like that. So it was a unique experience to be able to have such close relationships with some of the kids that went to school there and and some of them that were actually in the classes that I taught too. And is this a common structure for schools in Ghana? Are they often a mix of local and boarding students? Yeah, I think it depends on the area. In some areas, if there are a lot of families living around the school, then there would just be kids coming from the surrounding area. But sometimes, you know, there are private schools that will have boarding schools or people will send kids from other areas if they don't happen to have a school. It's also very common, like if I'm a a family and I have a bunch of kids and we don't have a school in our area, then I might send my kids to live with my sister or my mom or someone who lives near a school so that they can then have access to education and, and school. Which I guess comes back to that familial culture that you were talking about. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yep. So I understand that in Ghana, 34% of the population is illiterate. How are Pencils of Promise trying to change that? And are local governments involved in solving this problem? Yeah, so we work very closely with the government. It's just part of our model that in order to improve education, we really want to be creating sustainable programs. And without working with the government and aligned with the curriculum, it's very difficult to create sustainable programs. So what we're doing is with the teacher support and the WASH programming, we work with the government to align with their curriculum. So for example, we're not creating curriculum. What we're doing is we're looking at what the curriculum is, and then the staff is thinking of ways to 
explain to teachers different activities that they could be doing to engage students. They're thinking about what materials they could be giving to teachers that could help them in teaching the lessons that they're already supposed to be teaching. And so it's a variety of providing them content through workshops and materials, but then also following up and visiting schools. We typically visit once or twice a month and observe the teachers in action while they're teaching to be able to provide them feedback so that they can then improve their classrooms and their instruction even more, as you can imagine and have probably experienced if you go to a workshop and you get a bunch of content, a bunch of great ideas, but there's no follow-up, you're less likely to use it. So we try and do that model where we're providing the workshops, but then also following up for a few years after that. So the problem of lack of education is widespread far beyond Ghana. As you mentioned earlier, there are around 250 million children worldwide of primary school age lacking basic reading, writing, and math skills. In your opinion, what is the solution to this problem on a global scale? And how is Pencils of Promise working to achieve this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably so many things, but we are really focused on the teachers. I think if you think about your schooling and what you went through as a kid, the teacher, if you had a good teacher, then you you had a good class. If you didn't have enough materials, but you had a great teacher, the teacher could still make an engaging lesson and teach you and help you to learn. So we're working with teachers to make sure that they know how to do classroom management. They know how to walk around and be engaging all the different students of their classes. So they're not just calling on one student. We work with them on social and emotional learning skills so that when students arrive, they feel like they're respected by their teachers. Their teachers know their name. They you know, are having conversations about what they had to eat this morning or what they did last night. And there are a variety of different ways that we work with the teachers. But I think that's really the like most important thing that you could focus on in education is the teacher. Because you could have a quality school building, you could have quality materials, you could have an entire library of books. But if you don't have a teacher to provide great instruction, then the students aren't going to learn. So that's really where our focus is. Pencils of Promise also has education projects in Guatemala and Laos. Can you tell us why those two countries were chosen? Yeah, so... The first country we're in, Laos, is where our founder, Adam Braun, first traveled. And he built relationships there. He saw that there was a need there. And so that's where we first ended up growing. And then we thought about our programs and we were wondering if it was just a Lao organization or if we could expand to other countries and support teachers in other areas as well. So that's whenever we expanded to... Guatemala. And then to expand to Ghana, we really did a lot of research to figure out where would be another great place to go and found that Ghana was a place that had NGOs that were welcoming NGOs and that had the need and would be a place, a great place for us to be. And you've had personal experience working with projects in these countries? Yeah. So I travel there typically once or twice a year and go to the communities, visit with the staff and have conversations about what can be improved and and how we want to grow while I'm there. So we've spoken about the three countries where Pencils of Promise already exists. Are there any plans to grow the network? 
Ooh, good question. I think that we are always open to growing. We do, however, have strong ties with the governments that we're currently working with. And although we have expanded, there are many other areas in each of the countries that we could expand to. So I think we're first looking at wanting to expand in the countries we're already in, because we do know that that model is working and we have those ties with the government. And I think we're always open to partnering and the potential of going to other countries. But for right now, we're focused on the countries we're in. Lack of education is obviously a huge problem globally. What would you suggest to people who may want to get involved in helping to tackle this problem? Yeah, that's a good question. A question I get a lot from my friends too. I think that It requires research, right? And finding organizations that are doing work that is sustainable, that is aligned with what the government initiatives are and supporting those organizations because there's a lot of good work that's happening that is in partnership with governments and partnership with communities, really involving all of the people that live in each of those countries or wherever it is that you want to support. So I think it's just doing research and and making sure that the organizations you're supporting are doing work that can last. And it's not just something that will support for one or two years, but then will end. So just doing that research. Talking of researching kind of different organizations, how do you feel about organizations or programs that take volunteers to teach for short periods of time in developing countries or to build schools there? Yeah, I mean, as an organization, we build schools with the communities and with the local staff. I think for us, it's really important to have that buy-in from the communities. For us, we have the communities contribute 20% of the labor and the materials to build a school. And we found that that is extremely helpful in just the maintaining the school of having community buy-in. There are so many other reasons that is, you know, why we promote having the communities and the local teams building the schools. I think if you're interested in teaching, if you're interested in building a school and going somewhere, I think if one of my friends were to ask me that question, I would recommend on a personal level just to make sure you're doing the research and really questioning yourself as to why you would be the kind of best person to do that job rather than like when I went to Ghana 10 years ago, was I the best person to fill that role? Probably not. It probably would have been more helpful to have a local teacher who would stay for years, who would then be able to be paid and have that money to then be putting back into the economy. So I think if someone is considering doing that, it just takes more research to really look into, you know, what the organization is doing and how they're going about it and who they're working with on the ground and and really thinking on a personal level, if you're the best person for the job, or if it would be better to just visit the country and pay for an organization or local staff to be doing that work. And finally, how can listeners get in touch with Pencils of Promise? Yeah, you can go on our website, pencilsofpromise.org. And we have a lot of fun stuff on the website, actually, from data. We're a data-heavy organization. We like doing observations. We like tracking our work. And so there's a lot of fun stuff on there just to look at, some blogs and things like that, and then contact information as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Casey, for coming on Catalyst Travel and Purpose and for joining the conversation about social action and travel. You can find more Travel and Purpose podcasts at travelandpurpose.com. 
you can find a platform for social action and travel content at catalyst.cm. If you have your own travel and purpose stories to share and feel your story would be right for our travel and purpose podcast, let us know by emailing info at catalyst.cm and we'll try and get in touch to have you join us in one of our next conversations.